millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money, and today I'm answering your listener questions. Hey, everyone. So today I'm going to be answering some of your listener questions. They've actually kind of been piling up. So I've got, um, Five good ones that I'm going to go through today. As always, you can please feel free to send me a listener question through uh, yourmillennialmoney.com. Hit the contact tab, and in there you can write in all your information, your question, anything that you want to ask, and um, I will be sure to either answer that via email or answer it on air if I think it's maybe a question that everybody should um, know the answer to. So before we get into the listener questions, I just wanted to remind everyone that our Summer Money Live uh, webinar workshop series is still going on. If you would like to join, the next one will be on August 4th, and it will be on rookie budget mistakes to avoid. So these are mistakes that I see people make over and over and over again, that if you could just avoid these mistakes with your budget, um, things would be a lot easier. So if you want to uh, sign up for that, please text summer money, all one word, to 44222, and I'll make sure and get you on the list. Again, if you can't make it to the live uh, workshop, which hopefully you can because there's a Q&A time and, um, you know, it's just a little bit more personal than here on the podcast. But if you can't make it to the live time, then I always send out a recorded version as well. So you can always make sure to watch that. All right, so let's dive into these questions. So our first question comes from Jackie. Thank you so much, Jackie. She says, I listened to your podcast on leasing versus financing a car. I was wondering if it matters if you buy a car at the end of the lease. Would that make it beneficial to lease a car? I have read multiple articles online and they really make it confusing to understand if doing a lease to own is actually beneficial at the end. I'm currently interested in leasing a car that has a special for $129 a month with $4,000 down for 24 months. The car costs about $22,000. If you could please help me with seeing the reality of this transaction, I would really appreciate it. This is a great question, Jackie. And honestly, I get asked this question a lot because it is confusing. And there are, you know, a ton of articles out there. Some, you know, completely pro for uh, leasing a car and some con. 
And so what I'm going to do is I'm literally just going to tell you my opinion. You can choose it or lose it, as they say. But um, I am not a fan of leasing a car. I have done leases in the past, sure. But I also own a business and um, I'm able to write off, you know, a portion of that lease payment. So for me, it makes sense. But if you're not able to write off the lease payment, really all that you're doing is saying, I'm choosing the lease because it starts out less expensive. But the problem with leases is they add in all of these extra costs um, to the lease, which end up making the car more expensive when you go to buy it out in the end versus if you would have just bought the car in the beginning. And while you're leasing the car, you're not actually building any equity, right? So it's just, it's kind of like renting. So you're renting the car for, you know, three years or two years or however long the lease agreement is. And then at the end of the lease, you have options. Either you turn the car back in or you buy out the lease. And usually what is most favorable for you, um, economically speaking, is if you have a lease that you turn the car back in and then you just go out and buy a car. That's usually what makes most economic sense. I think what a lot of people find is, you know, when they get to the end of the lease, you know, you may have been making this 129, you know, payment for, um, you know, three years, let's say, right? And then you get to the end of the lease and you think, okay, so if the car costs 22000 and I've been making 129 for three years and then I put 4000 down, like you start to apply the logical math to this. And that's not really how leases work. I mean, they leases aren't intended for you to buy the car out at the end. They really aren't. They're not set up that way. They're, they're literally intended for you to, quote unquote, you know, rent the car for a specific period of time for you to turn the car back in and then for you to rent it, rent another car, for you to lease another car. And, you know, just think about like, you know how now, I don't know if any of you have gotten a new, you know, iPhone. I know AT&T does this. So you go to the store, right? And you want to get a new cell phone. This could be any phone. It doesn't necessarily have to be an iPhone. I'm just using that example. Um, and they say, okay, well, it costs you X amount of dollars for a two-year contract. Or you can do this thing where you pay as you go. And so you pay every month. But really, when you, I mean, I sat there the last time I bought a phone and I actually calculated, I think the salesperson was like super PO'd at me because I sat there and I penciled out the entire math. And I realized like if I quote unquote paid them over, you know, X amount of years for this phone, I was way more, I was buying like three iPhones and it didn't make sense. So I was like, well, that's stupid. Why would I do that? Right. But that's how they make more money. I mean, they ha- they don't just come up with these things um, to be like, oh my gosh, we're going to come out with this new deal, right? Like all of these subscription things that you have, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but hear me out. All of these subscription things you have, you know, Hulu, Netflix, um, Amazon Prime, I mean, you name it, all of these subscriptions, they've come up with that model and I'm not knocking them because it's a hell of a good model, but they've come up with that model for a reason. You just, you keep making the payment over and over and over again. It's like the gym membership model, right? Many of you probably have a gym membership. How many of you actually go to use the gym membership religiously at least like three times a week? Probably not a lot of you. You have the gym membership and you keep saying, well, I should go to the gym. I should go to the gym. I'm too tired. I should go to the gym. I should go to the gym. I know because I do this myself, right? So gym gyms know this, right? And they know that they're going to make, 
um, consecutive income, right? But only a fraction of you are actually going to go in and use the equipment. So they're not going to have to buy new equipment as often. You see where this logic is kind of going. So in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of other money people, leasing is kind of that same way. They know that like if you they can get you in at a lease, more than likely you're going to lease another car and then another car and then another car. So you're never going to actually have paid a car off and actually not actually had equity in a car, which really... Yes, you would get equity in the car, but a car really isn't a true asset because the minute you drive that car off the lot, it loses value. It just does. And it's a lot of value. Um, I am actually a big fan of buying a used car that's like one to maybe two years old that has very few um, miles on it. That is where you're going to actually get the best deal ever in the car buying experience yeah, I know maybe your interest rate isn't going to be as low, but at the end, interest rate doesn't matter if you're saving a ton of money, you know, at the end. So my point is, why do you need to do the lease? Like, what is the purpose behind the lease? Is the purpose literally that your payment is going to be that much lower? Is that what the attractive factor is? Because when you get out at the end of the lease and then you go to buy the car, you're your payment, your car payment's not going to be the same low price, right? It's going to be a higher price. And most people don't know that. So they get at the end of the lease and they're like, wait, wait a minute, I don't get to keep my cheap payment. No, 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 it doesn't work that way because now you're um, you're in a whole new ball game. So I'd look at your budget and I'd go, okay, is there a way that I can actually afford this car where I can buy this car? Maybe I don't put as much money down or maybe I put more money down, right? So then you're actually, you actually do have then quote unquote equity, if you will, in the car. Or, you know, can I buy a car that's maybe a year old that has, you know, 5,000, 7,000 miles on it, maybe, um, you know, something around that, that, um, that amount of miles, then I'm actually getting a good deal, um, if, if you're leasing a car and you actually have legitimate business write-offs, then that's that's a whole other ballgame. And, you know, that makes sense because you're, you're writing off the car. You can still write off a portion of the car if you buy the car. So, um, you know, don't believe the hype, basically, that it only has to be a lease. Um, but if you're leasing, again, just because the payment looks really low... I'd really try to figure out other ways to go about it because I, I just really don't feel like um, it's going to be the best deal for you. And I feel like at the end, you're going to be stuck with a bunch of choices that maybe you don't like. You would have put this $4,000 in the car. And if you decide to do a new lease, you don't get that $4,000 back. So, I mean, again, you're you're kind of setting yourself up for not failure because that's a really bad word. I don't like to use that word, but you're not setting yourself up maybe the smartest way uh, financially. So just a couple things to think about. I hope that helps you, Jackie. Um, If you did go ahead and lease a car, um, what I would do is um, I would really think about not buying that car out at the end. What I would think about is, you know, is there another car that I could purchase? Maybe I really like this car. And that's another thing. Let me just, let me just say this. I've um, worked with clients too who are like, but I love this car. This is, you know, and you name your car, you name it, you know, Betty and I don't know, Bob or I don't, I don't name my cars. But anyway, you guys who name your cars, you know, right? You love your cars, you give them names. But, 
but it's a car. I know, I know, I know you love it. It's a car. It really is. It's got four wheels and it gets you where you need to go. So don't be so attached to the car that at the end of the lease, you know, you're, you're just like, I have to have this car. No, 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 no. You can find another car that you love and you can name that car. I promise you, but just, you know, be smart with your money. All right. So hopefully that makes sense. All right. Next question is from Gloria. She says, hi, Shauna. I'm opening a high yield savings account with Ally. Um, also, there's another one with, she said synchronized, but I know it's synchrony. It's, it's a little hard to spell. Um, in Jersey, which isn't high tech, but has a 1.0% rate. Found that one on nerdwallet.com. Have you heard of it? And if so, would you give it, how would you review it? I'm also wondering if it's bad to open this account with someone, um, sorry, with something as low as $50 to $100 or even less. Is there a rule of thumb regarding what amount is most beneficial to start with and how often should I contribute to that account once it's open? Um, Thank you so much. All right, Gloria. So I know um, it's a little confusing because there are lots of places that you can go for for high-yield savings accounts. Um, the three that I always talk about are Ally Bank, uh, Capital One 360, and Synchrony. And I'm assuming that you're talking about Synchrony. Um, I know their website maybe doesn't look as super high-tech as the other companies, um, but they are a very legitimate company. They're all... Um, you know, great options for your high yield savings. So you really can't go wrong um, with any one that you choose. And nerdwallet.com is an awesome site. And, you know, if they if they have uh, companies up there, obviously you need to investigate those companies and do your due diligence. But I know NerdWallet has great reviews and great companies. So you can you can also trust, you know, what, what they're putting up there. Um, so I hope that answers your question. You can't go wrong. Ally Bank is great. If you open with Ally, that's fantastic. They're super, super competitive. Um, great, great bank. Um, but again, in, in, you can't go wrong with any of them. Um, I actually have an account with all three of them, so I can speak highly of all three of them. As far as how much should you contribute, here's how I want you to think about savings. And, and all of you, you know, there's so many questions I get about, you know, should I save money? Should I pay off debt? What should I do? And here's the thing. Saving money is all about getting in the habit of it. It's like it's tricking your brain, right? It's tricking your brain into to thinking before I spend money. So before I go out and I buy, um, you know, before I go on a shopping spree, before I buy that awesome watch I want or whatever it is that you're you're seriously like jonesing for this month, Before you go out and do that, your first thought should be, okay, but have I saved any money this month? And that's really where I want kind of the shift in your thinking to happen. And I know it's not a fun shift, but it is. It is. Oh my gosh, you guys, like if you could realize, like if you made that shift, like how empowering that is for you, because what you're basically saying is I'm putting myself first. I'm going to be the CEO of me and I'm going to pay me first. Before I go out and I pay, you know, fossil for that amazing watch and gap for those jeans I want, whatever it's going to be, I'm going to pay me first because I want to invest in me. And so I think when you just kind of like shift your brain that way, it really helps when we're talking about saving money um, because it needs to be something fun. It needs to be something that you're super psyched at doing. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. I know this. I know this personally and I know this professionally. 
when we talk about how much money, it should be however much um, you can afford to do each month. I say that on on average, you should be saving at least 20% of your take-home pay. Maybe you can't do that. Maybe your budget is all kind of um, um, not in balance, right? And that's really why I created um, my course that launches on August 1st, Master, Master Your Budget in 30 Days, is because I know that the I would say that 90% of, of all the reasons why people can't save money, pay off debt, or you know, start the business they want to, um, all of these things that you've been trying to do that you know you just can't figure out how to do, they all stem from the budget and, and really learning like the power of the budget. And that's why I created this course. So again, if you want more info on that course, go to ymmschool.com. Um, I am offering a discount code for all of the podcast listeners for 50 bucks off. And um, that code is MM discount if you sign up. So um, I, I just want to talk about that because it really, if you're listening and you're frustrated with not being able to save money and you're frustrated with not being able to pay off debt, you know, investing some money in a course like this that I'm going to really walk you through step by step how to do this stuff so that you don't have to go through this anymore, I think is really worth the investment. And again, that's why I created this. But you need to be saving something. And I don't care if it's if it's 25 bucks, if it's 50, if it's 100. There is no amount of money of saving money that is too little except for zero, right? You could be saving a dollar each month. If that's all you can save, then you're doing great, okay? But what I want you to do with savings, and I do want you to push yourself. I want you to push yourself to get to that 20% of take-home pay. The closer you can get to that, the better off you're going to be. Um, and this isn't just some like random number that we've kind of like picked from the sky. I mean, this is this is based off of years and years and years of, of, of studying economics and studying, um, you know, how people are able to afford to, you know, start businesses and have lifestyle changes and move abroad and, you know, um, have a family and send your kid to college and all of these, you know, retire, all of these things. Um, so it's a good kind of number for you to use. But really what I want to impress upon you is just make it consistent. So whatever dollar amount you pick, put it on auto auto draft. So it automatically comes out of your account and it automatically goes into your high yield savings. It's like it didn't exist, right? And then one day you're going to open your high yield savings account and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, look at all the money that's in there. That's what I want for you, right? But it's got to be done auto. What I find is like when we, when we, touch the money or when we have to transfer it, we get into that second guess thing, right? So it's like, okay, well, I know that I can transfer $100 this month, but actually me hitting the button to transfer it out of my checking account, it's scary. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Like, what if I need that $100, you know? So there's all of those emotions that come into play. So if you just auto, if you just auto deduct the thing, it just, it just goes automatically. Maybe it comes out of your paycheck um, or the minute it hits your uh, checking account, it just goes automatically into this account. It's a beautiful thing. So start with something. Um, any account that you choose, any of those accounts that you were talking about, all great accounts, and just start somewhere. And really work um, your budget to find out, you know, maybe there's ways that I can save more money, but I just, I, I can't figure it out myself. That's really where the system that I teach comes into place because you're not supposed to be able to figure this all out by yourself. 
You're not supposed to be this wizard at budgeting. Nobody taught you. Nobody actually sat down and showed you with your money how to do this. So don't beat yourself up, right? Don't get frustrated. I I know how easy it is to. Um, Just work at it and it will get easier, I promise. But start with something. Start with something. And you're doing awesome, Gloria. You really are. Okay, so Alex. Alex says, hi, Shauna. I really love your podcast, but I could use some advice. I'm an avid international traveler and last year started getting into the credit card miles hacking to get a free ticket. I'm using a credit card that gives me two times uh, miles back on every purchase and I got a 50,000 miles in my first three months. Awesome. The best part was the card was free for the first year, but now I'm coming up on one year mark and I'm wondering if the $69 annual fee is worth the two times miles. I can downgrade to the free card, maintain my miles and still get one and a half times miles back on every purchase. Should I continue with this card or open up another card to start saving up for another trip? Um, I never carried any kind of debt, so I'm not worried about paying off the bill every month. Awesome, Alex. Well, like seriously, round of applause to you. That's awesome. Um, A couple of things to think about if you guys are into the credit card miles hacking. So if you have great credit and... um, you know, you don't have any debt, you can really play the game with credit card hacking. What I like to do is I have um, one card that sounds very similar, Alex, to your first card, where I get two times miles on every single dollar that I spend. I have another card with the airline that I travel with often. So I have their airline card and I got bonus miles for that card, right? Um, And then I have another card with a hotel chain that I like to stay at a lot. And what I'm able to do between those three cards is kind of transfer miles and and combine the miles um, or separate them out. If if you're consistently um, using this card where you're getting two times miles and you're getting, you know, what I would, you know, if you're charging everything on this credit card every month, and you're getting a thousand or a couple thousand miles a, a month on it, um, it may be worth paying the $69 annual fee, um, at least for one year, just to see how things shake out. You did get the bonus miles, so you've got one free ticket right there, right? Um, 69 bucks, not a big deal if you amortize it over 12 months. Um, you know, it, it, it ends up actually being, you know, super, super low rate. Um, for that extra, you know, half times basically miles. If you're in love with this card and the card's really working for you and you are generating a lot of money, or sorry, a lot of points um, with this card, then um, I don't see the $69 is a bad fee. I mean, honestly, I see credit cards with $99 um, annual fees. Some have really super high annual fees. So $69 is really actually kind of low in the realm of um, annual fees. You could downgrade if 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 you're like, you know what, I'm getting miles on this card, but maybe, um, you know, I'm not getting as far as, as I want to, then certainly you could downgrade to the, to the free card. Um, I would say if you downgrade to the free card, or even if you don't, it sounds like you're probably in a really good kind of financial position. You might want to look at adding another card, like an airline card or hotel card, or even another card, you know, kind of kind of mimics this card uh, to your arsenal just to be able to kind of cover all bases. So like the reason I add an airline card in there is, um, 
because I don't like to pay for bags. I hate, it makes me so sick when I have to fly on an airline and pay like $50 each way for my husband and I to travel. I, I hate it. I think it's it's totally ridiculous. It's never going away. You know, they put that in after 9-11 because the airlines were struggling. They're never taking it away. Um, and things have only gotten worse since then as far as what they charge, you know, uh, what they charge you for. So the airline card, uh, you know, I get free flights on that, but it also allows me to uh, skip over the baggage fees. So for my card, I can get up to four bags free um, every trip. So that saves, ends up saving quite a lot of money. Now, if you have a family, like if you're, you know, have, have a kid or a couple kids, that's a significant amount of savings, you know? I mean, that's like, you know, 100 or 200 bucks, you know, each trip. Um, that's really starting to add up. So if you are a frequent traveler, think about adding in a card. There are great cards if you are an overseas traveler as well, you know, that works on lots of different networks. So maybe check that out, all right? I hope that's helpful and awesome. I'd love to hear about your, your journey into credit card mile hacking. Um, it's a crazy, crazy, um, crazy, crazy world, and I love it, and I'm super involved in it, but I, it can get kind of complicated to explain it on a podcast. Um, maybe I'll do one of my live workshops on that if, if you guys are interested in that. Um, I don't even know how you would let me know, but, uh, but maybe if you are interested in that, do go to my website, yourmillennialmoney.com, in the contact section, and just let me know, like, hey, I'd really love a live workshop on that. Um, or if there's any other topics that you guys really want um, a live workshop on, you know, please feel free to, to send those in as well. All right, the last question is from Ruby. Um, what do you think of commercial real estate crowdfunding sites? Would you advise a client to invest in them? Um, well, I, I, you know, I would never advise a client to invest in anything unless I um, saw their entire financial, um, you know, position because it's it's too hard for it's too hard for me to put, you know, anything in a, in a bubble and say, oh, you should do this or you should do that. Um, I haven't looked at commercial real estate crowdfunding sites too much because it is, um, it is kind of a specialty thing. Investing in real estate is specialty, especially when it's commercial. And um, I think you need really like the right team out there. And I don't know if crowdfunding really is the answer. I have seen people have total success with investing in real estate, investing in commercial real estate, but it's really something where you have to be super specialized in. So I, I'm actually interested in checking out the sites that you that you've listed here, um, and maybe I can give you a little bit more feedback once I once I check those out. But I would just say do your due diligence. Um, you know, see if it makes sense for you. See if it makes sense. You know. Um, with uh, your budget and with, um, you know, kind of the different things that you're doing, make sure obviously you're investing first in your 401k and your high yield savings and all of those kinds of things. Um, but I, I, I'm just really a fan of having a, a team in place when we're talking about real estate investing, um, because you really want to know, um, you really want to know the specifics of the area. You really want to know, like, you know, is this commercial building um, in a good area? Um, you know, who are the tenants in there, all of those sorts of things. And I'm not sure if you actually get that from a crowdfunding site. Again, I'm going to have to do a little bit more research into that. Um, but let me do that. And I'm sure I'm going to have a little bit more feedback for you. But just for everyone who's listening, you know, real estate is a great investment, but it just depends. It can be a terrible investment. Um, any real estate is not liquid, meaning, 
You know, if you bought something today, you might not be able to sell it tomorrow, or you may be able to sell it, but certainly not for the price that you want. So I always tell people when you're adding in real estate, it has to really make sense for you. Um, And that's why it just, it really takes a team. It really takes, you know, knowing what you're doing. Um, You know, it's not just like throwing crap, you know, it's not like just playing craps in Vegas. Um, You know, you you really want to have some sort of, some sort of certainty that you're making a good quote unquote investment. Um, And again, that it makes sense. So there we have it. Uh, A lot of uh, interesting uh, listener questions. Please feel free to send any of your questions in at yourmillennialmoney.com and I'll make sure and get those answered. Um, As always, please feel free to follow me on Instagram at millennial underscore money. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing you back here on the next podcast episode. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash CD specials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.